This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Thank you, Julianne, for agreeing to talk to us for for our new episode.、Um, to begin,、uh, I'd like to ask you to briefly introduce yourself. Uh, well, I'm I'm Julianne Boudreau, and、um, I'm a professor at、uh, the National、uh, Institute for、uh, Scientific Research in、uh, Montreal, Canada, and also at the Institute of、um, Geography at the UNAM in Mexico City. Thank you,、uh, Julianne.、Um, so we got in touch. With you, primarily because of our interest in your, the the recent book that you published on global urban politics, and we'd like you to briefly summarize some of the the insights、uh, from that book, about which we will try to draw linkages later on to the current situation. Sure. Well, the book is is、um, arguing that.、Um, We are now living in the world of cities, in the sense that、um, urban cultures are hegemonic,、um, and they define how we interact, how we act, and、um, a large part of our world view, world views across across the world. And the fact that we live in such a hegemonic urban culture、um, affects the political process, in the sense that. The way we engage politically in the world、um, works differently than in the world of nation states.、Uh, the book doesn't argue that the nation state is disappearing, of course not, but it does argue that there are、um, new elements in our in our way、uh, of conceiving the world that actually affects the way、uh, politics work. So the book looks at that、um, at three levels of analysis.、Um, Institutionally, for instance, we're looking at the power relations between、um, cities and, and and national states. For instance, so the architecture of the state is something that has been、uh, discussed in various、um, various analysis before about the state restructuring process under globalization. But the book also looks at、um, how. This world of city is affecting、um, interpersonal relationships and and the the logics of、uh, political action, collective action, in、um, in different places. This is what I call in the book the urban logic of action. I can come back to this later. And then the third level at which we I'm I'm looking at、um, these changes of the political process is at the ontological level of、um, our worldviews. The fact that we live in cities changes our relationship to、um, space, time, and rationality. So in in that sense, it does change. The way we see the world, and thus the way we act in the world. So one of the things that the book argues is that this、um, this urbanization of the world、um, informalizes the state. So、um, it's this idea that the national state、um, is changing in in the sense that it's、um, informalizing,、uh, in the sense that the boundaries between the state, the market, and civil society. Um, are not as clear anymore with these forces of urbanization, 
and that the national state um, and the state in general at all levels of government uh, no longer has the monopoly over um, the distribution of justice and authority. Thank you, Julianne, uh, for that, that, that summary. Uh, it's, it's, a really, it's, an, it's an excellent book, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. Um, the, thinking about your main arguments there, how, uh, how do you think we can approach the, the COVID-19 situation, perhaps particularly the political reaction to it, um, uh, with this kind of understanding, with, with these concepts in hand? Well, obviously, um, one of the main critiques of the book was that I was um, emphasizing too much that um, the, the national state no longer had um, that much of an importance. And, and well, this is not what I was trying to argue in the book. I was instead trying to argue that we may want to um, also look somewhere else for politics um, in urban life. Um, but when we see the situation right now uh, with the closing of national boundaries, with the the really robust um, national state measures um, all over the world, right, to, to face the COVID-19 um, situation, uh, it seems like uh, the national state does have quite a lot of, of weight and, and importance in managing the crisis. However, um, what I'm observing right now um, is that also, um, even though these measures are enforced through um, uh, the army or, or any uh, other, the police force or, or surveillance mechanisms um, all over the world, I mean, with differences according to the countries, um, sometimes the state has difficulty in imposing these measures um, on city life. Uh, and um, for many city dwellers, at least from where I'm speaking, um, in Mexico City, uh, these measures are not necessarily convincing. Um, perhaps my 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 um, take on it is that the the approach with which um, these state measures are are um, justified, the way these state me state measures are justified, is is hyper rational. It's really based on um, scientific medical rationality. And in many ways, this doesn't speak at all um, to people's everyday uh, values and everyday life. Let me give you let me give you an example. So I'm speaking here from Mexico City, where there's half the population um, living, um, vending stuff on the street, food or other merchandise. So they're really living on a daily basis. Um, the informal sector is huge um, and they live with cash money circulating. So the money they earn selling stuff will be the money they will use to buy food for their family at night, right? So they really depend on street life. Um, so the 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 conf confinement measures um, in a city such as Mexico City are really a class privilege. Um, if you look at different areas of the city, you will see in the middle class areas, people are in their in their house, uh, but it's not the case in many other areas where people actually have to go out uh, if they want to eat. There is no kind of um, state security net to to provide um, for people who who really depend on this on this type of work. 
Um, so what happens is that for many um, people, whatever scientific argument you will give them um, to convince them of, of staying home or, or civic argument, do it, do it because, um, because we need to save lives or, or these sorts of arguments, um, are really not having much effect. Uh, what What's important to them um, is really uh, earning a living and they have other sorts of rationalities um, guiding their lives and not only in these popular sector, in, in many in many other um, uh, class classes or, or socioeconomic sectors of, of the society as well, um, other rationalities that are more based on on beliefs, on uh, emotions, on affect, on solidarity, uh, are, are, are much more important than than the scientific arguments that um, governments use to uh, to justify the measures they put they put in place. Um, for example, um, we're approaching uh, Easter weekend in in Mexico City right now. It's Semana Santa, and normally. Um, uh, this Friday, there would be a, a huge procession um, staging the the Passion of of Christ uh, in uh, one of the peripheral areas of the city. Uh, normally, more than a million people will attend this uh, event. Now, what these people say is that we're not going to cancel it because God will save us. <laughs> you know, they the, this the coronavirus won't touch me because I'm protected by God. Um, obviously, the authorities are trying to to cancel this this uh, event. But the the thing is 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 these, these rationalities are clashing, and national states um, have uh, traditionally been using this scientific rationality to justify its policies and its measures. And uh, what I'm arguing in the book is that there's a number of other uh, rationalities and, 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 and worldviews that are um, guiding what people do and this urban logic of action, this, this, these different rationalities that we can sense on the street and in urban cultures and in urban daily life um, are really important and more and more visible. Even though uh, right now what we see is that the boundaries are closed and the state is taking uh, quite a lot of uh, strong measures, uh, perhaps uh, looking at um, other um, places where politics where, where politics takes place um, closer to uh, people's everyday lives and and their way of doing things and their rationalities may uh, also be more effective for um, state measures right now think about the urban logic of, of um, action and uh, this urban logic of politics really uh, how that works differently um, could you say a little bit more about that in in relation to this uh, the contrast to uh, state logics of action, and perhaps looking forward, uh, uh, how that, how you think these tensions might play out a little bit in, in, in places like uh, Mexico City. Mm -hmm. Well, the the urban logic of action, um, first of all, is in, it's contrasted uh, conceptually to uh, a state-centered uh, logic of action, but they're not mutually exclusive. I, I want to make that clear, right? It's not one or the other. Um, but let's say, for the benefit of, of, of conceptual clarity, let's contrast them, right? So, first of all, um, 
if uh, in an, a hegemonic uh, urban cultural world in, the, in which we're living right now, uh, the fact that um, city life, uh, even though people don't live in cities, is, is dominating in, in the way uh, the world is, is, is lived and governed right now. Um, this affects our relationship to the way we conceive of space, time, and affect. So how does this translate in uh, the way we act? So if we look at it um, in terms of space, well, the most obvious uh, element of the uh, urban logic of action is that action is uh, taking place in a networked, more than a bounded um more than bounded spaces of action. Um, so the obvious um, example of this is is the the role of social media, right? Uh, in 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 politics right now, um, this the fact that people don't necessarily think of their spaces of political action as um, a bounded space, right? Uh, like the national state, for instance. In terms of temporality, um. One of the arguments of the book is that urbanity, living in, in an urban world, uh, changes our relationship to uh, time, and time is, is central to political action. Uh, for instance, uh, much of the, much of the um, social movement politics of the 20th century was based on the notion of progress, right, So, or of revolution. This, act, this idea that it's a linear time, right? We're, we're, we're acting right now in order to um, produce a better future. Not that this is not, no longer valid, uh, but much of the forms of political, political action that I describe in the book is based on, on, on the here and now, on acting here and now, on doing it here and now, not necessarily strategizing for a better future. Not that there are no strategies, of course, but that tactical action and do-it-yourself action and prefigurative action in the sense of doing it now uh, is, is something uh, very important in, in, in the way we see political action and nowadays. So tactics more than strategic action. In in terms of rationality, um, continuing on, on what I was saying before, um, of course, ideology and rational deliberation is something still important in, in politics. But there are also a number of other registers of, of uh, political action that are very visible in cities, uh, which have to do with affect, with emotion, with visceral um, reactions to uh, whatever is happening in, in everyday life. And this also um, nurtures uh, political action in a very visible way um, in many, um, uh, in, in many uh, social movements that we've seen, uh, we've seen in, in the past uh, decade or so. Uh, um, a fourth element of um, of this urban logic of political action is the fact that actors are not that easily identifiable. Um, this is what I like to call a, some kind of a post-heroic um, vision of action. This in many ways, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a methodological point. It's this idea that perhaps to locate, to see political action, we have to look at the sequence of 
gestures of of action and reaction in specific places and in specific moments in in instead of looking for leaders of uh political movement, if you look at a situation of action and you describe it, uh, it's not that obvious who the actors are. The actors emerge out of the situation. It's not necessarily that you have leaders in their in their headquarters um, planning an action and strategizing. Not that this doesn't happen, but you can also see emerging political action through improvisation and through these um, action reaction, the sequence of, of gestures in specific moments and in specific places. So actors um, are not necessarily the main element, the, the leaders are not necessarily the main element to understand political action. And the final element um, that I describe in the book to um, speak of an urban logic of action is this idea that politics don't necessarily emerges from resistance and antagonism in the sense of a, a resistant to resistance to the state or to global capitalism or etc this could be the case of course but there are many many um, political gestures instances of political action that are simply simply impulsed from everyday situation. So it's in this sense that I say in the book, urban life is political life, is the sense that in in many ways, what makes people um, become, what, what makes people becoming political politically engaged is oftentimes very banal situation in everyday life. And they, from one, a small decision to the other, they will become more and more involved in in a political um, situation. So impulsion and not only resistance and that antagonism is one of the elements that uh, I can see in these changes in the, of the political process that we see right now. And I insist this doesn't mean that um, more classical ways of, of looking at uh, political action as resistance, um, as organized, uh, as something that is strategized and planning for the future and rational, etc., uh, doesn't exist anymore, of course not, but that there are more and more um, instances or they're more visible of, of other sorts of political action that are perhaps um, less visible in, in the public uh, debate. So what I'm what I think um, what I think we can do with this concept in order to analyze the, the current situation is uh, analyze well three things and in the in the immediate um, situation we're in where we're still in in the middle of a crisis right um, it can help us um, assess the effectiveness of the measures as I was uh, mentioning at the at the beginning, um, the level of acceptance, the level of integration in in everyday life, and what I see is that the state right now, these measures are following a more traditional, what I would call state logic of action, you know, rational with a, a linear conception of time. This is for 
the be a better future. You know, this is the management of the crisis, etc. Um, and and there's there's a there's a clash with the way people live the crisis right now, and the way people understand it, and the way um, people process it, and and respect or not the measures that are that are uh, put in place. So, if the state were to um, use other arguments, other rationalities, or, or were to um, try to to implement this, um, not necessarily through um, the army or the police on the street or or, or uh, whatsoever and, and use instead other um, measures that are closer to people's everyday lives, uh, perhaps these measures would have a, a greater effect. But also I think um, there's a lot of um, reflection and discussion right now about what will cities be after <laughs> uh, after um, the COVID-19 uh, crisis. And of course, this is changing completely urban um, daily life right now. Um, so, but if we look at it from from this urban logic, um, the relationship to the future is 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 not linear in many ways. Um, so, uh, what I see with this urban logic of action is that people people uh, clung to hope and 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 what are the creative possibilities that we can. Um, from which we well, from which we can build another type of cities right after after the crisis. So in in many ways, instead of thinking of it as we are in a crisis right now and afterwards, you know we will come back to normal life whatsoever, uh, what I see is a more much more fragmented uh, fragmented kind of um, reflection on the future right now and people are doing things right now that will probably have impact uh, after after the crisis um, so and in terms of, of, of space you know in terms of um, the the impact on on our relationship to space of, of what's going on right now um, well obviously there's a change of scales right where I mean the 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 level of networked um, interchanges and and traveling and all of this uh, is obviously um, diminishing with uh, with the closing down of boundaries and all of that and people people's everyday lives as have have shrunk to the very micro scale right now, um, but even though this this kind of relationship between the global and the local is changing. Um, I think we are still conceiving our um, our everyday lives in a very networked manner. Um, I don't think anyone's kind of coming back to this idea of a stable space of political action, which is the national state, because we're all connected digitally anyway. So, so in this sense, I think this concept of urban logic of action can help um, looking at the situation differently and closer to people's everyday lives than if we use a, a, a state logic uh, to analyze um, the situation. I'd like to come back to your distinction between state logics and uh, urban uh, logics of action. And uh, I, and you, you raised the issue on terms of how well these logics are integrated in a particular 
place in a particular country and uh, that there might be differences. I, I wonder, uh, given your familiarity with Mexico, Canada and maybe other places, what, what kind of key, key differences uh, do you see in terms of how, how well they go together or are entering into conflicts and uh, dissonance? Mm -hmm. um, for instance, right, um, one of the, well, the urban logic of action to me is a force of informalization of the state um, in, in, in the sense that um, the state formalization, the modern state uh, formalization um, in countries um, like Canada and Mexico, obviously, didn't uh, they didn't have the same degrees of formalization, right? In the sense of um, producing a a modern liberal um, state, uh, and we know that Mexico has always had a level of informality greater than than Canada, for instance. To take to take these two these two examples, but in even in Canada or Europe or the United States or countries where the formalization process was the most advanced, it was never complete. And I think what's important to um, understand is that state formalization is kind of a, like a, an elastic process. It's not linear. Um, the nature of state formalization will always stretch and contract, right? So in certain moments in history, the level of informality in the state process will be higher or, or lower in, in all countries in the world um, in different ways. So the urbanizing of politics informalizes the state in the sense that it um, the state is no longer the central interlocutor of the of the political process it's not the state is no longer um the the entity to which uh social movements are speaking to um social movements do their things and they, they don't necessarily only claims claim things to the state or demand things to the state and in 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 response and on uh, in in response the state will thus work um through a kind of a mix of, of, of written and unwritten rules and ways of doing things, right? So state informalization is kind of this blurring of the state and civil society politics in many ways. And because there are so unwritten, so many unwritten rules, it becomes very important to observe what's going on in city life at the street level to understand this um, this integration between state action and, and, and urban action, everyday life action, civil society action. So to come back to the comparison between Mexico and Canada, for instance, well, Mexico in um, uh, elected uh, at, the, at the federal level um, a very populist president, um, Andres Lopez, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO. And so populism as a way of, of, of governing is, um, is in many ways uh, very close to, the, to what I mean by informalization of the state. So what is, what is the Mexican state doing uh, right now 
um, in response to this crisis, well, like any like many places in the world, we're stuck at home and there there's no school and and the same measures, right? And um, there is no uh, strong enforcement of this with police or the army, not yet at least. But um, and and just this Sunday, um, the president was uh, announcing his uh, plan for. Uh, addressing the economic impacts of of the crisis and one of the things the main thing really that is um, in his program is providing direct aids in 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 the form of a of a cash deposit in people's um, in people's bank account if they have one or through kind of a sort of a credit card or a voucher that they distribute to people um, uh, who 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 need help right in this in this specific situations it's a very uh, it's a very populist measure um, but also in his discourse um, when he was announcing these measures the president kept saying well don't worry very soon we will be able to hug in public pla- public places again right so he's addressing very directly this um, effective, uh, this emotional um, need that people have, and he's also um, not talking so much about the scientific arguments uh, that kind of justify uh, the need for these for these measures. Um, if we look at what's going on in in Canada, um, the measures are, are much strongly, much strong, much more strongly enforced. Um, and there was a there was a law uh, for for punishing those who don't respect the confinement uh, right now, but what's happening on the streets of Montreal, for instance, is that um, well, spring is coming and um, the snow is melting and um, it's nice outside and. <laughs> Uh, anyone who knows Montreal will know that when spring comes, people become kind of crazy. They undress and they go outside and they go on the terrace, uh, the cafes, and they have a beer and all of these things. So the temptation of spring coming and congregating on the street is is very strong. And so I was uh, speaking to uh, a student of mine in, in Montreal this weekend and he was saying well mm-hmm. I'm a bit worried because with spring people don't respect the confinement anymore and um, so what we see coming out is 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 neighbors um, denouncing other neighbors and calling the police to say they're congregating on the street and and so there are um, other mechanisms of social control that kind of developed from civil society. I'm not saying this is good or this is bad. I'm just saying that the state measures do not directly as, um, speak to people's need and to this very strong um emotional need to go on the street when the snow melts and to these are kind of uh, registers of action that are very embodied very visual very uh, effective and um, the state keeps the very rational scientific argument so the reaction of the people is to kind of take things into their own hands and 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 just um informally spontaneously put in place other social control mechanisms for for that so these two logics of action um, are 
in a way integrated differently in different places in the world depending on the political culture of these places and uh, the um, the history of state formalization and uh, informalization. Are there any examples in uh, in Mexico where there's been uh, in Mexico City recently where there have been different kinds of organizational movement type things, so, so solidarity movements, anything kind of uh, you know that's been generated to to deal with uh, um, this current situation? Thinking particularly, you mentioned at, at the beginning of our conversation um, that um, obviously people are lower income, poorer people don't have really the privilege to self-isolate. You know, they have to go out and work on the street. Uh, other, I mean, obviously it's very hard, hard to say it's in an, an ongoing situation, but uh, are you aware of any uh, uh, developments of that kind? Um, I'm, not, I'm not aware of anything kind of um, organized or very visible going on right now collectively um, in the sense that um, well, Mexico is a very is a very uh, class divided society with huge huge um, inequalities, brutal inequalities. So, in in many ways, um, isolation is a class privilege, as I said, um, and fear being so so strong, felt so strongly right now, especially among the middle upper class people. Um, it kind of, to the contrary, breaks down uh, a lot of solidarity. Uh, yet, uh, what I see is is a number of very small individual individual gestures. Um, for instance, um, well, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of music musicians um, on the streets of Mexico City. Um, they usually play on street corners or or in markets or in public places. And right now, there's not one day when uh, there, there's no musicians coming in the empty streets of the middle class areas playing music and, and people throwing down money from their windows, for instance, to, to give to the musicians, right? So in the sense that, um, uh, what I see is that sorts of these very small micro gestures of uh, solidarity uh, with uh, with people, but it's it's nothing it's nothing organized yet, right? In in the sense that it's really really diffuse um, and and very individualized um, engagement, right? With uh, with uh, with poor people. Uh, because what I see is more like fear is is dividing people more than putting them bringing them together. If I understand you correctly, you um, your your framework, your your approach doesn't see that uh, there is anything um, inevitable about the situation uh, developing into forms of. Uh, authoritarian technocracies um, that 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 will gain hold or that will linger on even after the crisis has passed. I I am a much more hopeful person. <laughs> um, 
in a sense, I, I can see the dangers and I, there's definitely a need for, for people to be vigilant um, that these, these um, social control measures um, and, and, the me and the control through technologies would happen in China, for instance, with the, with the, the cell phones, right, and the control and the containment of the, of the virus over there. And in elsewhere in the world, of course, we need to be very, very vigilant about that. And of course, we need to um, to make sure that all of the measures and the, and the power that the army is taking right now in many countries in in managing the crisis is is not going to kind of settle into something permanent afterwards, right? For for sure. But what I do see is that um, people don't necessarily accept that or don't necessarily um, fall for um, conspiracy theories um, or, or, or whatever other theories, you know, going around. I think people find uh, different ways of protecting themselves and different forms of explanation and um different inspirations to um to to face the crisis right now and i think that our role as intellectuals our role as activists uh, is to uh, make these tiny gestures more visible um, to kind of inspire um hope and and develop uh, different uh, creative possibilities and i think uh, in places like Mexico, where there was more than 70 years of authoritarian um, governance uh, with a single-party system, uh, never did this 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 authoritarian party never did it. It never controlled completely society. It's a very very thriving urban society, uh, and it has always been. And and this is why I think this is our role to make these very invisible political gestures visible and these alternative rationalities visible to kind of get out of this very linear um, analysis of the present will the present the past the present the future right and and that we're on a path towards um, authoritarianism this is this is this is killing action uh, creativity and and so I think this is I see this as, as a very uh, important political engagement that is our responsibility, really, um, to make these things visible. Us and, and us, I mean us intellectuals and activists and artists have a very um, special and, and, and important role to, to play also in making these alternatives visible. I think we all share our fears about what might happen uh, with the state, um, when, when you think how quickly all these the measures have uh, been implemented, um, however necessary uh, they are, it, it does reinforce the extent to which we're really apart from this kind of this this politics, this this machine type thing, um, and the speed with which that can be kind of mobilized uh, is, is obviously frightening. But uh, this idea of seeing like a city or seeing through the everyday. Uh, uh, dissent is that uh, in, in a way I think and uh, uh, that's something uh, this urban logic of action for me at least um, provides a, a, a way of thinking about it in a more hopeful way um, 
or a way of starting a conversation about it at least uh, 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 would be a way of characterizing it. The, the conversation really uh, made a, a very nice arc from uh, the diagnosis to to some sort of outlook. Um, so I'd really like to say thank you, Julianne, for, for taking your time and uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure. Thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website urbanpolitical.podigy.io Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.